0: You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture.
1: All right, let's pray. God, I thank you for this place, that you are here Thank you for Red Sea and the leadership that you have placed over it. I thank you for the gospel. That From the beginning, you had a plan to redeem man and that this would happen by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his blood covering our sins and giving us new life in you. God, I ask that this gospel truth would not just be a theory, something that we all know, but that does not penetrate our hearts to be lived out in practice. I thank you for this sermon series, for Josh and Royce, and how you are challenging us to practically apply the gospel in our daily lives. I confess that over the last year, this has been something that I've been apathetic about, knowing what I ought to do, reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, but have excused myself from doing because of busyness. I thank you that through your gracious patience and continual pursuit of me, that you have used this church and this sermon series to draw me back into your word and in pursuit of you, practical application of scripture and the gospel in my life. I'm reminded of the lyrics from Seven Places song, that goes like this. I fall apart when it's all in my head. Thought knowledge would save me, left a void instead. Move into my heart, bring to life what was dead. God, I pray that the truth of scripture, that the gospel message that Jesus came, died, and raised again on the third day in order to cover our sin would not stop in our minds, but that it would sink into our hearts penetrate our lives, work itself out in the actions we take in our lives and bring us and bring to life what was dead. Amen.
0: Amen.
2: So you're reading an article
3: As thinkers,
2: that is Nicholas Carr. He is the author of The Shadows, What the Internet Is Doing to Our Brains. To understand this whole thing better, we need to go way back in time, to say, like,
3: the prehistoric age. You wanted to know everything going on around you, because the more you knew about your surroundings, the less likely you were to get attacked by a predator. And there's even evidence that our brains release some dopamine, pleasure producing uh, neurotransmitter chemical to reward us for seeking out and finding new information.
2: So getting distracted felt good and helped us stay alive. The problem is that nowadays predators aren't much of an issue, but
3: we still have the same brains. And also, there's the internet. Which is... It's an incredibly information-rich environment uh, that the net creates for us. And that's why we use it so much. I, I mean sounds, pictures,
2: thinking is actually how we learn. It's a process
3: called memory consolidation. And that means the transfer of information from our short-term working memory to our long-term. memory. And it's through moving information from your working memory to your long-term memory that you create connections between that information
2: and everything else you know. So you've got this awesome life-changing piece of information you hear that email ding and there it goes. That email takes its place and you never get a chance to learn anything. All because of one
3: distraction. So attention is the key. And if we lose control of our attention or are constantly dividing our attention, uh, then we don't really enjoy that consolidation process. But I can hear it now. Someone out there
2: is saying, uh, what does learning matter if all the information in the world is just a Google search away?
3: Well, uh, that is kind of shortchanging our intellects. If that's the way you're using your mind, just kind of searching very quickly and finding information and then forgetting it very quickly, you're never building knowledge. You're simply, you're, you're kind of thinking like a computer. Which means that our very humanity
2: is at stake. And it would be a shame if we all got assimilated because, well, humanity is
3: pretty easy. I really believe that if you look at the great monuments of, of culture, they come from people who are able to pay attention, who control their mind. That's what allows us to think in the highest terms, and think conceptually, think critically, uh, think in some very creative ways. And it's this kind of thinking that's at risk, being eroded
2: one cute cat video at a time. Don't get us wrong, the internet is good for lots of things, and it should be celebrated. But the best thing we can do for our minds is to find some
0: Well, I came across that video as I was doing some research. He talks about uh, that professor uh, in this book here. And so as I was uh, reading about it, it just sparked my interest, and I did a little more research into, uh, into kind of the, the physiology of the mind. And, and uh, so I came across that and thought it would be a, a nice little introduction for us. Uh, we are in a series. You can turn me down some, John. Uh, we are in a series uh, called Crazy Busy. And today we're going to be talking about how media particularly affects to the adds to our crazy busy lives. Uh, and it's a really big problem that I think all of us suffer with from uh, one degree of another. Um, one of the reoccurring themes that both Royce and I have, you know, continue to come across in this series as we've, as we've read and studied and, uh, and looked in the Word is this idea that uh, time is, is a very precious resource that God has given us, and it needs to be stewarded well. I think time is by far the most limited resource we have on this planet. Well, because of that, and because we all realize that time is very limited, we tend to just fill our time with stuff and The video kind of talked about that we 're at this, this this crazy pace of just always doing something, and I believe in the last couple of decades. One thing that has started vying and fighting for much of our time is this guy. It's, it's media, it's technology, it's, it's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It's uh, our people liking our posts, it's seeing the latest cat video, um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, recent statistics from Nielsen, we're going to put up a slide here, uh, indicates that Americans spend 906 million hours per month using social media. Twitter has over 100 million users. YouTube serves more than 2 billion videos a day, which ironically, we just watched a YouTube video. I get it. Uh, Facebook reports that worldwide, it's 500 million active users spend a combined 700 billion minutes on the site each month. That's roughly 24 hours per person, which is a lot of time spent checking status updates and changing profile pictures. That, I, know, I, I, I read that statistic and I was like, no, there's no way that I spend 24 hours a month on Facebook. And then I'm like, maybe an hour a day broken up over several you know times of checking it. I mean, that's, that's me, right? And those hours, they start to really add up over a lifetime and they wind up uh, equaling out to a lot of a wasted time. So the question that we're going to try to answer today is, is, is checking Facebook, watching movies, uh, surfing the web, the best use of our time? And to help us answer that, I think we need to start at the very beginning of the story, the recorded story, in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. So we're going to be jumping around, looking at a number of different passages. You're welcome to open up your Bible to those passages, or you can look at them up on the screen. It just may be a little easier here. But let's start in the very beginning of the story here and see what we can learn about us and how we're created and also what God's place is here to do. So in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, um, this is what it says. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the, all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So as I was reading this, there's two things that I think we can we can look at this and we can pull out of this that are really important for how we use our time and particularly how we use uh, media. The first one is this idea that God exists in a triune relationship, right? In Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image, right? Well, we know that there's a plurality there. There's more than one. As God's story unfolds, we see that that God being actually comes in the form of three persons known as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, these relationships of God are, these, these beings of God are defined by their relationship with one another, right? The Father is only the father because he has a son. Make sense? So if then we are made in the image of this triune God, then we find ourselves, and at the very foundation of who we are, we find ourselves in relationships with God and with other people. So alone, as an individual, I cannot properly image God, right? Because God exists as a relationship, and God made me in his image, therefore I have to be in relationship with other people to properly image God the way that he created me to be. Okay? That's one thing that we can pull out of this passage. The second thing that we can see here is that we share rule with God over creation. That's what God said. I want you to, to take dominion over it. I want you to work. I want you to grow. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. But then as God's story unfolds throughout the Bible, we get more clarity on what that exactly looks like. And the very premise, the very, I guess, the, the, the foundation of why we are here is to have dominion over, to steward, to be fruitful and multiply. But then as it grows... That command then becomes uh, not just about taking care of the earth, but it becomes about having right relationships with people, right? The Bible talks a lot about how we are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind. So it's about having a right relationship with God. But it also says we're to love others as ourselves, right? So we're to love God and we're to love our neighbor. That's kind of what that command ultimately becomes when Jesus comes here uh, on the earth. So Jesus says, I want you to, to love and to serve other people. That's why you were created, you know, the golden rule thing. But Jesus goes on and he says, whoever, this is in Mark 8, 35, he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So then being obedient to the command of God, why we were created in saving our lives is about engaging and loving God and loving other people. Okay? You guys see where I'm going? We are not created to be self-indulgent, autonomous little, you know, individuals. We're created for relationship. But the problem with media, and particularly social media, is it creates self-indulgence. Right? I think if we step back and look at a lot of the time that we spend in media, it's not about engaging with other people as much as it is just self-promotion or self-indulgence, wanting to check out, right? I know that's, for me it is, at least anyway, a lot of the, the, my technology time is just me wanting to fill the time with something. It's kind of me wanting to, wanting to check out here. Let's look at a couple other passages of Scripture that talk about this. Ephesians 5, 5 through 16, I think is really, really applicable to this idea of, of media and how we use our time. This is what Paul says. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. I think that command speaks directly to the way that we use social media. It's as binding on our modern-day technological lives as it was on a a first-century Jew. And Paul's words have massive implications for how we interact with social, social media. One day, all of us will stand before God, and we'll have to give an account on how we use the time and the resources and the energy that he places here on the earth. And with that in mind, how much time can we justifiably devote to Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube? Is that a good use of the time that God's placed us here? Just a few hours each day over the course of a lifetime adds up to years of wasted opportunity. So, then in a way, we have to be skeptical, I think, of technology. We can use it for God's good purposes. I'm not, I'm not someone that's going to stand up here and say, hey, let's remove ourselves from technology. I think it can be a, a tool that God created that, that we can use for, to help us glorify Him, to help us wisely use our time. But some media, and I think a lot of media, is just filler, right? It's just mindless filler. That's kind of what that video was get, was getting at. Uh, De Young, in, uh, in the chapter we looked at, chapter 7 here, if you guys read it this past week, he talked about this term of acedia, uh, which, which I had never heard before, and I thought it was really fascinating, so I pulled a couple of quotes out of the, bo- out of the book. Now, acedia is kind of an old term. A modern-day term would be sloth, right? And this is how he kind of uh, defines acedia. He says, Acedia is evenings without number, obliterated by television, evenings with neither entertainment nor of education, but of narcoticized defense against time and duty. Above all, acedia is apathy, the refusal to engage the pathos of others' lives and of God's life with them. If that's our primary purpose in God creating us, How much of that time are we giving to this idea of purposefulness disguised as constant commotion? That really hit home for me this week. Man, as I I thought about my time, I get up in the morning, I fix myself a cup of coffee, and I've got about a 30-minute window there where there's just not a whole lot going on, right? Physically or in my mind. I'm just kind of sitting there just waiting for the computer to reboot, you know, and, and, and to get going. Once that coffee hits my bloodstream, though, I, I start and I, for the next 12 to 16 hours, I will not stop. And most of you guys are probably the exact same way. You will be doing something for the next 12 to 16 hours. And if you have a void, do you know what happens? your brain automatically goes to this, doesn't it? And you pick it up, and you open up Facebook, and then you start, and then it looks to a link that adds to another link that winds up you watching cute cat videos, right? And we fill our time with, with these days. Now, for you, it may not be Facebook or Twitter. Maybe it's ESPN, you know? Maybe, maybe it's um, a, a hobby that you enjoy, Maybe it's a, a certain TV series that is really popular that you just can't get enough of. But as I was thinking through this stuff, I, I started to wonder, and I was really trying to think about my heart and think about my time, and, and I realized that I had come to believe a lie that busyness was the point. I have to be doing something all day. And so then I, I fill my time. What is the, and I think as I thought about it, the reason I think like that is because you know what the alternative to my busyness is? The alternative to busyness is genuine engagement and relationship. And I think this is robbing us of genuine engagement and relationship with other people. It's robbing us of our relationships with our friends because we have pseudo-friends, It's robbing us of our relationship with our spouses because we would rather have brainless activity instead of engage in real-life conversations. It's, It's robbing us from our conversations with our children because instead of playing with them and engaging with them, we would like to put them in front of a television. It's robbing us of our genuine relationships with our neighbors because we pull this thing out, and if we're ever in an awkward situation or we're ever in a public place, we just click on this thing and then we feel comfort and security because then i don't have to interact with anyone. If you ever go to the DMV? Everybody's doing this because they just don't want to talk to anybody. If you get on the max train, this, right? And it's robbing us of the purpose that i believe God has created us here, here to engage in genuine relationship, to image who he is to the world so that they will know him. Men, okay, I am talk to the guys specifically? I have a hard time seeing and justifying how playing video games can be a good use of the time that God has placed us here for, right? As leaders of our families, He created us and He placed us here to engage, but I think so much of our time in playing video games is just avoiding those family responsibilities. And now that's a big generalization. Some of you may worship God in spirit and truth while you play whatever it is that you 're playing this, these days. but I really think that most of the time video games are we're just using to remove ourselves to fill the void so we don't have to do what God's placed us here to do right I 'm all about playing video games with your kids. I think that you could connect that way but but years ago, I had to when I When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And I stopped playing video games because it was just hours of endless use of my time that God had given me. And I thought, and I said, I'm going to have to stand before God and answer for all the time I spend doing this. And is that really a good use of the time that God's given me? Is God going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Right? Because you got to whatever level on whatever game. Women, we're not just going to single out the guys. In a Time Magazine article, we're going to put this up on the screen, entitled, It's Time to Confront Your Facebook Edition, uh, Kayla Webley shares some really interesting statistics here. Uh, one-third of women ages 18 to 34 check Facebook first thing in the morning. Right? You roll over in the morning, and, and to your spouse, the room is still dark and their faces glowing. It's not because of the morning smile. It's glowing in the darkness because of Facebook. Of the 1,605 adults surveyed on their social media habits, 39% are self-described Facebook addicts. It gets worse. 57% of women in the 18 to 34 age range say they talk to people online more than they have face-to-face conversations. That was startling to me. It's like 57% have more genuine relationships and face-to-face conversations. Well, you can't have a face-to-face conversation online. But that's what they consider face-to-face conversations. Another 21% admitting, admitting checking Facebook in the middle of the night. Wow. It's a quarter of us in here, right? Of our ladies wake up in the middle of the night and check Facebook. If God created us to be relational beings... Is social media devaluing those relationships? Do you have friends that you have never met? Can you genuinely call them friends if you've never met them? See, here's the thing about social media and social networking. It gives us an illusion that we know everyone. But in reality, we don't know anyone that well. Right? And that's what we've all kind of bought into. It creates this environment where there's these selfish, one-sided relationships that really flourish. And you know what conversations are made up of? Little sound bites and likes and kind of one-off comments on a picture. And we're, we've, we've called that a genuine relationship. Man. Man. I think the other thing that it's doing is it's robbing us from those genuine relationships that God has placed right here in front of us. If we would rather spend time on Facebook engaging in a relationship with someone who is not present, yet we we ignore the relationships in front of us, primarily our close family and friends, our circle of relationships. This is robbing us of our purpose that God created us here. Not only that, it's doing something else. I believe that it's creating a culture of self-worship, also known as narcissism. Look at a couple of verses here. Proverbs 27.2 Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Man, say the Bible isn't relevant to today. Isaiah 66, 2. This is the second part of the verse. To this one, I, the Lord, will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Those who are humble. Matthew 23, 11 through 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility... It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Is Facebook helping you to do that? Now, there's all types of practical implications of this. Uh, I appreciate at the end of the chapter, he talked about some of those. He talked about making these boundaries and fighting for those boundaries in your home, whether it's getting texts at, a, at, a, at the dinner table or turning your phone off at a certain point or just refusing to turn on the TV or refusing to check out. I think there's a great, and we should s- spend some time doing that. He talks about this idea that the video did of engaging your brain and needing to need your brain being created to, to have an idea and to really concentrate on that idea, idea. And the problem is social media just, you get so much information at you so fast, you don't wind up processing through anything. And it really is literally making us dumber. Like, so there's some real practical things we can do, and we're going to talk about those in home community this week. But more than all of those really practical things, at the heart of it, I think there's a, a great issue that we have to address and at the heart of, of me filling my time with technology and the heart of me filling my time with Facebook, I believe is ultimately we're just searching for approval. That's really what at the heart of our social media addiction is. It's just a search for approval, right? When we think about it, when we think about how often we see if people liked our posts or liked our comments, all we want is Validation. And I'm friends with a lot of you guys on Facebook, and and some of the times, the posts that I see is just a cry out for validation. Someone validate me. And husbands, if your wife is crying out for validation, that means you're not, one, you're not validating her, you're not leading her toward God, and she will find it someplace else, right? Right? We have to see these things. But more than that, it's a cry for a validation from, of, of I believe that we're not receiving it from God. We have to realize that we are loved by God, that we are created in his image, and that we are placed here to do something, right? Love God, love one another, and love this world is our primary purpose that we are created for. And we have to find our identity in that, in being loved by God, in being created for a reason. This week, I've been reading through 1 Corinthians, and and it was just really, really good time in the Word of of my heart being reminded. And I came across this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 3, and I wanted to put it up on the screen here. Uh, And it just just stuck with me all week. Um, Paul's talking about a unity in the church here, and he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? I just just let that sink in for a second. You know, we talk about all types of identity language that we use here, that we are God's children, that we are God's people, right? The, um, uh, in 1 Peter, you're, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people for, God, of God's, for God's possession, uh, right? We look in Ephesians and, and we see that we're, we are an inheritance of God, that we are purchased by God. But I love this image here because Paul says you are the temple of God and his spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So this is what Paul's getting at here and he flushes it out all throughout 1 Corinthians. It's this idea that Jesus... When he died on the cross, he paid a debt that we all owed, right? This is at the foundation of what we would believe in the gospel, is that when we are born into this world, we're born uh, sinful. We're born in natural rebellion to God. And that rebellion is shown in this idea that we will worship everything, right? Right? We, we don't have a worship problem. We just have a worshiping the right thing problem. So we, we will worship everything. We will worship our, our jobs. We will worship our kids, like we talked about last week. We will worship everything except for God, right? So we're in, we're in rebellion against our creator. And so there's a price that has to be paid for that rebellion. This, is, this isn't just unique to God. This is, this is about the way that we exist as a, as a race. When, when, you, when, they, when you sin against someone, when you break the law, there's a consequence against that. That consequence has to be paid for. It has to be satisfied. And we can't do it on our own. So Jesus came. God came down to this earth to pay the consequences of our sin. That's why he had to die. A perfect being had to die in order to pay for all of our sin. So because of that, Paul in 1 Corinthians here says that we have been purchased, right? God bought us with a price. We are now God's, okay? Now, it doesn't stop there. This is where it gets really cool. It's cool already. This is where it gets cooler. Because Jesus was sinless and he died he was able to pay for not only the sins that had been committed in time past, he also paid for all the sins that had committed in in the future going forward. The sins I've committed already and the sins that I'm going to commit, right? All of those are satisfied. So God looks at me now and he sees Jesus, right? God is happy with me because of what Jesus did. And because I am now sinless, and you are sinless if you have believed that and you confess Christ as your Lord... God can physically dwell inside of our bodies, right? Paul's not being theoretical here. He's saying God can actually dwell inside of us. Jesus talked about this too. He said, hey, there's a a helper that's going to come. There's a gift that's going to come. It's called the Holy Spirit. And God will now get to dwell inside of me. So I, because of Jesus, get to have a relationship with God that that Adam in the Garden of Eden could have never had fathomed, right? And Adam was sinless. He was in relationship with God when he first created him. But see, God was going to display an act of grace and mercy that Adam couldn't even understand or couldn't fathom, that now we can see so we can know God and be in a relationship with God in a way that is more beautiful and purer than Adam could have ever fathomed. That's the blessing of getting to live after the cross where we live right now, okay? Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians, and he says that we are members of Christ. The two have become one flesh, He uses the analogy of like having intercourse with someone. You become one flesh with that person. That's the picture that he uses to paint our relationship that we can have with God. We are one with God. You and I become one with Christ. He's the head and we make up the body and we are to walk in relationship with one another. That has huge implications on how I use my time and what I use my time for. That I am, and, and I think that I just get up in the morning and I drink my coffee and I just start going and I forget that I am the temple of God and that you are the temple of God and that He dwells inside of this temple. And that because of that, I have intrinsic value. Royce has said, used these words multiple times. I am accepted. I am significant. I am secure. And so because of that, I don't need Facebook to validate me. And I don't need it to draw me away from genuine relationships. I don't need to fill my time with pointless media, but I can engage in those relationships with the people that God has surrounded me with. Right? Right? Now, here's the problem. Jesus came. He paid for our sins, right? We have been forgiven, yet we are still sinful. We continue to sin over and over and over again. And as long as we're alive, we're going to sin. So as long as I'm alive, I am going to want to continue to worship all these other things except for God including technology. And so I have to constantly be brought back in and have my heart reminded of the goodness and the greatness of God. This is what communion is all about here. Tim's going to come back up. This is what communion is all about. It's a reminder of our own hearts that I am accepted, secure, and significant, that a debt was paid for me. And if you're a, a Christian, right, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, we invite you to come to this table every week and to remind your hearts of this identity that you now find in Christ Jesus, that you don't need anyone else to validate you. You have it in Him. And then once I realize that, I can then engage back in relationship with other people. And I don't have to be afraid, and I don't have to fill my time with pointless things. I can turn off my phone, I can put it down, I can have genuine conversations, and I can do what God placed me on this earth here to do. I just think we've forgotten that, and we need to be reminded. And then we're going to leave this place, and we're going to go back into community with one another. And we're gonna tr- have conversations about this and I hope that we will set up some boundaries. We do need to take some practical steps here in setting up boundaries. But more than that, as we see the people that we love finding their identity in something outside of Christ, we speak the gospel into that situation we remind them who they are and we, we commit to walking in relationship together. In so doing, I believe we'll do what Paul said in Ephesians, we will redeem the time. Because the days are short. So let's redeem that time together as a community. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you as as your people who have been purchased. Uh, God, we we are no longer uh, our own, but we've been bought. We're owned by a very, very good and loving God that demonstrated his love for us in dying for us. Father, would you please open up our hearts and our minds to believe that? To believe that we're loved by you? To believe that we're validated through Jesus Christ? And Father, now we we come and and we receive communion. We receive it as a gift that's been given to you, to us, from you. May May we receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. And may we leave this place and lay all those other idols down, all those other things that we worship. And may our lives reflect peace and genuine relationship with one another. Would you do that through us, Father? In your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.